It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Hey, welcome to our number two of Green and Growing. I'm your host here, Ashley Frasca, along for the next two hours and taking your calls throughout the show, 404 750 But first, we have a celebrity gardener on the line and this was a special one because I actually got to be in person with this uh, celebrity gardener earlier in the week and got a garden tour, and then that gave us so much to talk about. Sandra Parrish, longtime WSB reporter, is with us this morning. Welcome to the show, Sandra. Good morning, Ashley. From the North Georgia Mountains. Thursday that I was able to drive up there and we had a great time and I'm really really appreciative of you showing me around your beautiful mountain home that was I learned so much well I loved having you and I love having somebody that shares the love of flowers I mean I can show off my gardens to anybody and they're like oh yeah that's nice those are pretty <laughs> but to have somebody actually appreciate all the hard work was very nice and of course I was very happy to have company <laughs> we get very few company up here especially during a pandemic so it was nice to have you just the deer just a, an occasional black bear every now and then but no right. it was it was an easy drive so I learned so much from you Sandra and that's what I've told the listeners all along as I've started this show is I have a lot to learn, so I want to share all of the questions that I was asking you with the listeners because I think there could be a lot that they could learn from your experience as well. So first of all, though, in that beautiful setting, tell me your favorite thing about those mountain views that you've got. Well, I love just sitting out on the porch and just taking it all in. I mean, I've, I've had to find creative things to uh, be outlets for me during this time, as, as I'm assuming everybody does. You know, it's tough being holed up in your house for months at a time. And so, you know, I would pick different areas. I'd have a goal of what I wanted to do. So the first thing I did was I had my, my upper deck, and I only had a swing up there. And so, you know, we brought bought chase lounges, bought some, some pretty rugs, and I have some flowers up there. And it's nice just to be able to sit and take everything in. Well, you know, you look over the back balcony, and I just saw this mess of Leriope. And <laughs> I've just, I had already cleared it out of the front yard, because I've, I've got gardens in the front as well. And so I had it all along the driveway. And this wasn't what I planted. This was here when we bought the home two years ago and so that's what I've done and I've, I've had to do it section at a time just because it's so much work but I have succeeded mostly I saw you've seen a few areas that I still have to do but um it, you know Leary can be pretty and I love the variegated Leary which is the the white with the green mm -hmm. and those don't spread near as much and they're very easy to divide so I have those along my walkway in the front yard you know, is, is AKA monkey grass, the green mm -hmm. stuff you see, and it shoots up the little purple flower kind of, the little shoots it has. And, and it's so, the same with um, when it's not flowering like it is now, it's it's flowering now with the purple stalks, but it gets almost like um, deep, deep blue, almost black little beads if you look really deep down yeah. in the grass, right? I, I was fascinated right. by those as a kid. I thought they were like little marbles. I thought that was so neat. 
I'm sure they're quite poisonous, though. <laughs> so you don't want to, don't want your kid around those. But the problem with it is it spreads. It's very invasive, and it gets in the roots of your other plants. And so we have a ton of crepe myrtles, and so we've got a wygelia, which has really pretty uh, pink blossoms on it, and we've got a snowball tree. And I will never get that liriope out unless I take out the whole plant. What was your technique when you finally just got into the groove of removing that liriope? And folks, again, Sandra said, we're talking about the solid green leaf. I, I had right. no idea the variegated one didn't spread, which is really good info. That's good to yes. know. But once you got in your rhythm of removing that, how did you find yourself to be most successful? So for the driveway, when I started earlier in the year, I used a shovel which was fine, and the reason I use the shovel is because the pick, and I'm not sure what the technical term of it is, but it's like a pick like you would, you know, you see people shoveling hay and stuff with, mm -hmm. but it's a garden pick. It was not as successful along the driveway. I don't know if the dirt was harder, but that pick was what I used in the back, especially since I had, it was intertwined with the irises, and so I didn't want to just use the shovel and damage all the all the bulbs that were in the ground. So that pick was very, you know, it was very helpful. I was able to get it up. I was able to save a lot of the dirt that was still there, and I was able to pull the irises apart. So I would recommend something like that. But the shovel, you know, if you have to, just use the shovel and pull it all out. All right. So garden enemy number one, clearly for Sandra at her mountain home, was liriope or monkey yes. grass. What would you say garden enemy number two of yours is? Deer. Mm. Deer love my roses. And they will come and they'll eat. And they don't always eat the blossoms, but they will eat all the leaves. Early in the spring, when my lilies are first coming out, they love the lily leaves. Now, they don't, they have not eaten the flowers, but, and, you know, once this, the flowers develop, they haven't touched the leaves. But early on in the spring, they will come because I guess they're, you know, they're hungry. It's been all winter and the grass isn't up yet. And so that's what they do. And I've had a lot of neighbors with the same complaints. And so I have found for the deer, and um, there's, there's different, things you can put out mm -hmm. to, to deter them. I even planted marigolds this year around some of my lilies. And I think that, I think that did help some. That's cool. The Irish spring soap is a very good deterrent huh. and it's, it crumbles. And so, you know, you take it out of the box and you kind of like break it apart and then it'll, it's like it's in layers. And so then you just sprinkle that around and that did seem to work. And you know, you'll smell fresh and clean. You'll, <laughs> <laughs> when you go out and, Smell your lilies. It'll smell like Irish, Irish spring. So that's neat. That worked. And you and I talked about, too, we can't necessarily 100% guarantee plants that they will not eat because some random deer will surprise you and eat something that no one's ever seen them eat. But also, I was telling you I had learned, and I haven't tried this myself, but something with textured leaves supposedly is just a little less inviting for them. But the Irish soap, that is a cheap, easy option. I love it. Yeah, and you can go. You can actually find them at the dollar stores too. So you can get several packages. So they, but they do. I mean, they're pretty a pungent odor. So even just like if you leave it sitting around in your garage or whatever, you will definitely smell that. So I guess you know that's probably why it's such a good deterrent for the deer. <laughs> it's a deterrent for us too. So right. you also had issues with carpenter bees because you're in a log cabin. Let's face it, there's a lot of wood. There's a long deck across, you know, two stories of the back. And you and Doug, your husband Doug, had a very successful and clever way of dealing with carpenter bees. Yeah, you know, you've seen that. I'm sure you've seen those traps where you have the jar. Some people use a plastic soda bottle with mm -hmm. them. But he actually, we, we had bought some. And those weren't near as successful at the, as the ones that he actually made with scrap wood. We had, I don't know, their 
two by or four by sixes or four by fours, probably four by fours. And he would just cut, you know, little ends off some scrap wood that we had. He'd drill holes in them. And I'm sure you can find tutorials somewhere on Google um, or on the internet. And then we just take a little, the, the small mason jars. You can use the bigger mason jars as well, but he just uses the small ones. And I'm not sure how he gets it in. That's what you'd have to look at the tutorial for. But there's a way to screw that up. I guess maybe the cap of the jar goes up in that wood. And uh -huh. then you screw the mason jar into it. And then he just puts a little hook on the end and we have several of them hanging around and you saw when you were here the little guys were getting in it and they couldn't get out so they, <laughs> it was a great success and I'm, I'm not sure what kind of wood I don't know if it was cedar they'd have to look that up too but yeah. but anyway we've been very successful in, in catching them like that so beautiful views up in the North Georgia mountains. And Sandra, you've moved a few times. You've been a longtime homeowner. And the neat thing about your property is so many of the plants that you pointed out to me were very special to you or had stories or came from someone in the family. I'm thinking of the geraniums and you had one of the house plants. I think you brought coneflower over. Tell listeners how they could be successful with transplanting plants like that that are special to them. How have you had success? Yeah. So so when we moved, well, we, we'd actually owned the home for about a, about a year before I was up here full time. So, and I had gardens at my previous home as well. But so the best thing to do is wait for them to bloom. And I had, I brought up two rose bushes and one of them, which I've been very successful with, is a climbing rose bush that my mother-in-law had given to me when my daughter was born. And she gave it to me for Mother's Day that year. And it was very special. And that, that, that plant has moved. This is the third house that it has lived at. And it's, so it's like 22 years old at this point. But it has been so successful up here. And I don't know, the soil, I'm sure the soil is different. So I'm sure that makes a big difference. But before, it would, it would lose its leaves you know, right after it bloomed at Mother's Day, it would be beautiful at Mother's Day. It was full of blossoms, and then everything would be gone. It would just be these dangly stems that you'd see until the next spring. And so up here, it has actually bloomed three times wow. this year. And even though the deer like to come and munch on the leaves, it, it continues to produce more leaves. And I have it stretched out along a picket fence, and so it's really pretty. But that's one that I moved, and I waited until after it bloomed at Mother's Day. I cut it down down to probably maybe a foot in height and put it in just you know a big container with dirt and brought it up here and transplanted it and it has just done great um, I brought peonies up here um, that I had gotten from my mother who has passed away and so there were already peonies up here they were my favorite flower oh perfect but I waited until they bloomed and they bloom in the spring as well and so I waited until they had bloomed, and then I dug them up and moved them. How, pl how um, deeply did you plant them? I probably went down about maybe a foot, probably 10 inches or so, okay. and put them in. And I, I planted them in a different spot than where the ones are that were previously here. So they're just pretty much all over in the back and the front. I just love them. They smell just wonderful, and they're just so beautiful. All right, Sandra, great luck with peonies. Easy to transplant, folks, since you do it from somewhat of a tuber. Well, Sandra, stick around because we got to take a break and check traffic and weather. I have two other fabulous plants that I saw in your landscape that I want to ask you about. So stay tuned. We're with Sandra Parrish here on Green and Growing. You're listening to 95.5 WSB.
And you want to know what the weather is doing today. A high of around 89 degrees, low around 70. Isolated storms today, but the chance decreases throughout the day. And scattered thunderstorms tomorrow, a high of 89 and a low of 72. All right, the weather update sponsored by Finley Roofing. Thanks to them. So I held Sandra Parrish, longtime WSB reporter, over because we're having such a great conversation about her garden up in the North Georgia mountains that I was blessed enough to go see just a couple of days ago, Sandra. So two of the outstanding things that I saw in your landscape that I had so many questions about. First, your angel trumpet, how you keep that alive and how you're able to share it with others. Yeah, and you came at the perfect time because I think it actually bloomed a little earlier than it did last year. But these are transplants that I had done before I had moved. You cut off the stem right before the first freeze hits. Mm -hmm. And so any part of the stem you can get, take the leaves off. I put it in a mason jar. I let the roots establish. And it, that really doesn't take that long, maybe a couple of weeks. And then you put it in a pot of dirt. And it, I keep it all winter. And I'll probably do maybe six cuttings. And then I have a lot, you know, if one doesn't do well, then I still have the others. Or you can give them away to other people. And they started out, they actually came from my mother's yard. Aww. And my sister was doing this. So we all got angel trumpets. And so I just happened to keep them and brought them up here. And I think I brought six of them up here and two of them have done really well but they get a lot of sun and that's the one you saw both of those but the one that was blooming Mm -hmm. got the most sun the ones in the front yard i'm convinced the deer are eating them too because they have (laughs) never last two summers they've not done well but it's very simple just before that first frost so probably sometime in november just go out and get you a little cutting maybe maybe eight to ten inches long stick it in a jar and let it root and you'll have beautiful you'll want to reap you'll want to plant it in the yard after the last frost of the season. And if you want to see a picture of Sanders' angel trumpet and everything else and then some that we have been talking about in this conversation, I'm going to have the photos that I took of her garden up on the Green and Growing Facebook page. So use a search Green and Growing WSB in there. By the time this segment is over, you will see the photo album of Sanders' mountain home. Well, I had one more thing to ask you very quickly. I mean, we could honestly take a whole hour, Sandra, but thank you for being here this morning. Now, you're welcome. We had fun looking at the grapes. You inherited uh, some muscadine vines and some scuppernong vines. And so tell me just one simple fun thing you've learned about now being a owner of a vineyard, so to speak. Well, I've learned it's fun to make jelly because I have never done that before. And I didn't get to do it last year. We didn't have a good crop of them last year. And we had decided it was because we had not trimmed them after we had moved in. And so I had to watch a tutorial how to trim the muscadine vines. Yeah. And, you know, you, you want to follow, you want to leave that main vine. And it's the offshoots that you trim and you trim them right around February, right? You know, probably like early-ish winter or so. Um, and so we did, we, we have, we have two, one on the back, one on the side, one's muscadine, one's scuppernog. And so you saw they weren't quite ready. It'll be, you know, we found the last couple of years, August is a good month, but for some reason they seem to be delayed. So Mm -hmm. it's probably maybe around Labor Day, they'll be ready to pick. And yeah, I've got some jelly in the future and I'll have to give you another jar next time I see you. I can't wait. Well, Sandra Parrish, one of the best, if not the best celebrity gardener I've had on the show yet. Uh, a huge favor. Maybe we do this again. We definitely do this again in another yeah. season. And I want you to come back and share all of the new plants that you're trying, maybe in the spring, and some things that held over and really did well for you as perennials. 
Yeah, I'd love that. You know, and a sign of a good gardener is that something is always blooming. So, yeah, I'd love to have you come in a different season and see all new flowers that are blooming. Well, have a great morning, Sandra Parrish. Thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, we'll be talking soon. That sounds great. All right, and we're going to take a break. Check news, weather, and traffic right here on WSB. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. So if you want a Saturday morning escape to the North Georgia mountains, I have posted pictures that I took of a lot of Sanders plants, certainly not all of them, but many of them on the Facebook page. Green and Growing WSB is what you search and what you like or follow. On Facebook, once you find the page, there's a photo album there of Sandy's North Georgia cabin and some beautiful flowers. There were a couple that were new to me um, that she identified for me, told me what she knew about them. Maybe some were annuals, you know, that are just, um, you know, you're just enjoying some seasonal color out of those. But one of the great things that Sandra said was the sign of a good gardener is that something is always blooming. And I love that. Not to say that, that the rest of you aren't good gardeners, but just when you're that strategic and you spend that much time outside that you realize what flowers when and what colors look good up against each other. I mean, I think that's fantastic. And that is the type of garden many of us enjoy. It's just that there's always something to see and something to look at. And then, of course, in the mountains of North Georgia, which we all love, the fall color coming up, which is just one of the busiest tourist times for Ella J and Blue Ridge and Helen and Dahlonega and all of those places. So a nice little getaway if you want to uh, escape for a little bit and like the Facebook page, Green and Growing WSB. Want more calls? 404-872-0750. It's time to go to Riverdale, Georgia and say good morning to JR. Hey, welcome to Green and Growing. Hey, JR, are you there? Yeah. Yes, okay. Hey. Yeah, yeah, I can hear you just fine. So what's going on with your blueberries? Yeah, uh, I called about two weeks ago, and you suggested transferring it to another five-gallon pail with mm-hmm. fresh soil. Mm-hmm. And, uh, again, I still have some green branches left, and then some, of course, the woody ones. There's a, 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 another leaf fall, fall off, but it's still hanging in there. Uh, the good drainage in the, in the five-gallon pail. And I was wondering, does it need to get fertilizer, or is that possibly what's happened? Not enough fertilizer or any fertilizer? Not right now. Not when they're not in active growth. It wouldn't behoove you to really fertilize them right now. And, you know, some of the leaves dropping off, that's perfectly fine um, right now. And I actually got another inquiry from a lady who thought maybe she had rust on her blueberry leaves. They were getting a few yellow and black spots. And to me, that seems normal. That seems perfectly normal. I wouldn't really worry about it. And if you've got some new canes that are green, I think everything's proceeding just just fine, just as it should. So, JR, I don't think I ever asked you in our first call a few weeks ago, do you know if you have rabbit eye or high bush? Like, do you know which variety you have? I have, uh, it's a specialized one. Uh, it's not jelly bean. It's the other one. Okay, because rabbit eye generally grows taller a little more quickly, and then high bush can stay a little more of a bush form, but really no need for pruning until, like a rabbit eye that grows taller, really no need to worry about pruning those until they reach about four to six feet of height, 
and a high bush, I mean, you can maybe not really do any major pruning until that's three or four years old. I, I, it was one of the plants that you had recommended. Jelly bean was the one, and then there was another uh, another variety, the two that you talked about. And I can't recall, uh, but it's kind of, it's, right now it's about two and a half, three feet tall. Yeah, so not much pruning needs to be done unless there's a limb that's damaged or one that's, you know, crossing and rubbing up against another one. Um, but how did the transplant process go? Did that go okay for you? Oh, that, that was okay. Now, a question on, on the sun. Uh, is it better for full sun all the time? Yeah. Or in this case, it gets sun like from 12 o'clock for the rest of the afternoon. That's pretty good sun. Yeah, I mean, generally something like that. And, you know, with our summer vegetables, we talked about so much too. I mean, at least six hours of sun, ideally more than that, though. So if you're getting afternoon sun like that, that's perfectly fine. That should be sufficient because right now the days are a little bit longer. So it could, you know, be potentially getting six or seven hours of sun. That's that's what a blueberry loves. And that, you know, affects the taste of the fruit too. The more sun, the longer the fruit can stay on the bush, the sweeter it's going to be. Oh, okay. Now that answers that question. <laughs> uh, they, I mean, they were nice and blue. And so I, eh, it's not so special, but that's probably because they picked them. They were just, you know, just my first time trying it. And uh, I guess it was overzealous. But uh, I'll remember that next season. Yeah, if the birds, I, I remember your conversation with putting up the simple two-by-four uh, netting around it in the five-gallon pail. That was another reason I want to keep it in a five-gallon plastic bucket because yeah, it's so easy much. to uh, net them. Right. You have so much more control over the environment when you can net them yourself. And so instead of just putting the netting directly on the two bushes that I have potted, my husband built a frame, just a very loose frame with almost railing, you know, two two-by-fours across the top, two two-by-fours on each side, and then just kind of a, a base board to hold that frame up. And we stapled the um, netting around the outside of the frame. Yeah, with blueberries, that's definitely not one of those plants that you want to pick early. That's not something that you can just ripen on the kitchen counter or ripen in a window. The longer it can stay on the bush, the better. JR, I love that. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, let you in on a little secret. I'm going to be out one Saturday in September. I'm not going to tell you which one, but I am going to uh, take a little break in September. And the call that you and I had a couple of weeks ago about transplanting those blueberries and about Walter's watering system that you used, I am reusing your call because it was so good and so informative on that show coming up in uh, September. So you may listen one Saturday and hear yourself and go, oh, wow, there I am. I, I didn't. I, I transplanted it into that that watering system, but yeah. I did not put the watering system back in. I covered the holes up and uh, in, in the five-gallon pail. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I too much. It was too expensive a plan to experiment with at this time. Now, maybe if I buy one of the less expensive ones this coming season and try it, but uh, I think it would work fine. But you mentioned so much about the wet uh, roots that the plants don't like that. So that was my only concern that there may be some moisture always in that second pail where the roots may go into. Yeah. That, and and that, like I had said, after a heavy rain, especially some of the ones that we had, you know, this week prior, I would definitely check that, that second pail. You've got the, the bush in the first uh, pail, and then that pail is resting into a second one. So yeah, I kind of check that reservoir and make sure 
it doesn't stay wet because that is going to be detrimental. And, you know, I mean, a self-watering system, not as important getting into this time of the year as during the summer when summer it's just really important for grasses and for our vegetables and fruits to maintain a consistent water level, consistent moisture in plants like that. JR, thanks so much for the call. Thanks for following back up. 404-872-0750. Richard in Sandy Springs. Hey there. Good morning. Hi. Uh, I recently read on the internet that it is bad to put uh, mulch very close to the stems of plants because it will deprive the soil of nitrogen and water. And so I moved uh, the cypress wood chip mulch away from the the plants, uh, at least a foot away from the plants. But now the uh, the soil is bare around the, the stems, uh, like, and I'm afraid that those aggressive weeds are going to come back again. So, what should I cover up the, the ground with, if anything, uh, right next to the stems of of my uh, flowering plants? Now, what what plants? Are we, we're not talking trees. We're talking maybe shrubs or something. Yeah, azaleas and lilies and agapanthus, peonies. The reason uh, I'm asking is because, well, well, after I put the cypress mulch down and and after I had removed the weeds, uh, uh, some of the leaves of these plants started turning yellow. And so my wife thought that the mulch was doing something bad to them. And and then I read on the internet that it, it could deprive the soil of nitrogen as well as water. Right. So that is that is a little bit of a common myth where people think that it robs the soil of nitrogen. It's it's actually just the opposite. It really is beneficial for the soil. The only way that it really robs nitrogen from other plants is if you mix those chips into the soil. But with them just being on top of the soil, that's not a problem. And actually the decomposition and all of that of the wood chips actually is beneficial to the soil, to the roots, you know, to the overall plant itself, the plant health itself. Now, that may have been two separate things, what you heard. So keeping mulch away from like trunks of trees and shrubs, that's really, really important. That's why I asked if you were talking about more just bedding plants or trees, because when you pile the mulch up against the trunk of a tree or a shrub, it creates like a dark, moist, low oxygen environment, and then fungal diseases can can occur in that case. And folks can often see, you know, mushrooms at the base of a tree, which is never a good thing. So you do have to keep mulch away from tree trunks and shrubs. But as far as bringing it right up to your azaleas, I mean, I, I think that's fine to go under the, the canopy, so to speak, under the outreach of the azalea. I think it's just fine, so long as you're not piling it up against the main stem of the azalea. But don't worry about the wood chips doing anything detrimental to the soil of what they're around, because I think I think you're going to be just fine. So go ahead and do lay it down. And for it to be beneficial for moisture retention and for, you know, weed prevention, too, you've got to lay down those wood chips about two inches thick, if not maybe a little bit more, but just one thin layer that's just thin enough for you to still see soil, that's not going to quite cover it. So, Richard, I think what you're doing, you're, you're along just fine lines of doing that. But, yeah, that's that's a warning to folks who are mulching around trees and things like that. Just don't go up against the tree trunk. Coming up in just minutes, we're going to hear from Phil in Atlanta about whether or not to fertilize a crepe myrtle. And Bruce in Rome, is it too late to plant Bermuda? 
Janet in Murphyville. I want to know where Murphyville, Georgia is. Three green giants, Arborvitae, and the bottom is rotting, so we need to get to the bottom of that. And up in Cherokee County, David wants to know why rose bushes are losing their leaves. So you still have time to jump in as well. 404-872-0750. We're going to take a break. I'm Ashley Frasca, and you are listening to Green and Growing for another hour here on 95.5 WSB. forgetting I have to update the weather first. I'm ready to just start talking, but no. First things first. Finley Roofing sponsors the weather update. If you're just tuning in and just waking up, it's about 76 degrees. It is raining in some spots around metro Atlanta. Isolated storm chance for today, says Channel 2 Action News meteorologist Brad Nitz. High of around 88, low around 72. A good day for your fantasy football draft if you're doing it virtually or in person with just a few people. Tomorrow, that's random, right? Scattered thunderstorms tomorrow, high around 89, low of around 72, 40% chance of showers on Sunday. Green, green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. So we've had a couple of calls today about pruning. Everybody always wants to start to clean things up and prune, prune, prune. So some shrubs that you can prune today, among those would be forsythia, gardenia, and sweet shrub, calycanthus, which mine are like five feet tall. They're a little too tall. Uh, If you want to stimulate growth, the pruning cut has to be made within six inches of where you want the new growth to occur. So all of the chemicals in the plant are told right there where that cut is to grow out from there. Don't prune deciduous shrubs now, though, the ones that lose their leaves. Don't prune those in late summer generally because the new growth that is going to be stimulated at that point is susceptible to winter injury. So that is something we got to start thinking about, even though it's not even September yet. The average first frost, upon me doing a little bit of research for you, generally around Metro Atlanta, first week in November. Of course, it could be earlier, could be later. Uh, North Georgia, maybe LJ was a random weather spot that I picked out. Um, they've seen it as early as the first week of October. So people in North Georgia have to be a little more careful. But generally, on average... Their first frost is the last week of October, so all around the same time. Number two, you can start looking out for large webs. You see those at the tops of trees produced by fall webworms. They're starting to get out now. Just use a large pole if you have one long enough and start to take the webs out of the trees. They could defoliate the trees if left to their own devices. And number three, if you haven't already, if you already have not, Now you can fertilize your centipede, just one last chance. Diagnose dead spots, too. I've gotten a lot of calls about those. That could be due to drought. That was probably a few weeks back, not really the last week. We've had so much rain. Over-fertilization or mowing incorrectly. So with centipede, for example, you want to mow the grass to less than two inches high, generally around an inch and a half, an inch and three quarters is pretty ideal. 404-872-0750. 404-872-0750. Who was I going to take first? Oh, I was going to talk to Janet in Murphyville. Hey, Janet, where is Murphyville, Georgia? It is actually Murrayville. Oh, oh, I've heard of that. Okay, that makes more sense. Very good. Yeah. All right, well, how are you this morning? I'm doing good. How are you? Really well, thanks. How can I help? Well, I have got, um, several years ago, I planted... Um, some green giants. Two of them I had gotten uh, in the buckets. They were about three feet tall. But three of them I have put in as seedlings, and they've taken root very well. 
except for one of them. Um, they're slow growing, which is something I'm surprised at. Mm-hmm. But um, but one of them on the very bottom, one of the limbs is like just completely dead. And I don't know if there's a worm in the ground or if there's something I can do for it. Because uh, the other ones tend to be, they're thriving really good. Now, is it is it where a limb meets the trunk of the tree, or are we actually talking at the base of the trunk itself? It is where a limb meets the trunk of the tree. Okay, what that may sound like to me, if you hadn't really monitor it, monitored it much in the last few weeks or month or so, you may have missed the beginning signs of a canker. And a canker generally is going to ooze sap, as that occurs on Leland cypress and on arborvitaes, which is what you have. Um, and there is still time to prune those out if they're on limbs. But I was afraid if it's showing uh, bot canker is one of the, the most common that would occur at the base of the trunk, and that could be fatal. Um, but in the case of it's just occurring at a limb, you can actually sometimes prune that out. Fungicides aren't really going to do much. Um, pruning is the main way to control that. And, yeah, unfortunately, on evergreens like this, you hate to prune you know, limbs, because it's not like they're going to grow back. Um, And that's where it comes into play that you have to disinfect the pruners in between cuts and all of that. So let me, Janet, send you, I'm going to put you on hold and let DeMarco get your email address. Um, I'm going to send you just a few tips of how to properly prune that canker out. Maybe take a picture too, because I want to see if it's already dead, if I'm able to kind of see any indications of you know what was going on early because maybe there just could be some injury there where the limb meets the trunk and that's what caused the death so um i'm going to get your email address and then you'll email me and if it's a picture that's really you know tells a thousand words i'll share it with the listeners on the green and growing wsb facebook page all right bruce and phil and jennifer y'all hang on we will be back for more calls here on green and growing on wsb This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.